You're listening to a ComicsXF podcast. WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the ComicsXF interview podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grove. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guests have a new 2000 AD story called The English Astronaut, Paul Cornell and Laura Helsby. Hello. 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 <laughs> Uh, Laura, this is your first time on the show, so we will ask you, what are some of the first comics you remember reading? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, the first comics in total, I'm going to have to say something like the Beano or Commando, maybe. Mm-hmm. But first superhero comic is something I'd probably say that I actually read would be Batman Black and White and Innocent Guy. Mm-hmm. That was the first one I actually remember reading. I remember transcribing all the drawings. I had like a whole A4 sheet of all the little drawings that I'd made from from the book. That was probably the first one I remember. All right, Matt, you're the back guy. Which which one is that? This is the Brian Boland. Uh, it's a, a guy talking about how you don't really know if you're good or not until you've done evil. So to te- to test the thesis, he's planning to kill Batman. Whether or not he actually is serious or is just not quite all there is left to the reader. Awesome. Good stuff, good stuff. I mean, he, you know, he goes for the absolute deep end immediately, eh? I mean, not, <laughs> let's do, just do a little jaywalking. Let's... That's true, that's true uh all right all right paul uh it's been a couple months uh thoughts on the new doctor oh my goodness i am blown away i'm immensely enjoying it uh shooty gatwa that combination of relentlessness and happiness um goodness uh so much reinvention there um me and a bunch of uh, writer mates were discussing it last night. So Russell's been incredibly clever. This is this is great stuff. Excellent. excellent. Well, uh, you are here. You both are here to talk about the English Astronaut, a three-part serial debuting January thirty-first in two thousand AD, alongside colorist Matt Self and letterer Jim Campbell. Uh, what can you tell us about it? Paul, you can start. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, it's my little homage to Moore, Michael Moorcock. It's um, a, um, a a three part story about a, um, a British major who's sent via drugs from the nineteen seventies to the present day, and uh, causes transtemporal havoc. And uh, there's an awful lot of um, of meta going on here in the way we used to mean meta, not as in Facebook, but as in uh, <laughs> as in, as in there's there's breaking of the third, fourth, and fifth walls. And um, I don't know what those other two walls are. I grabbed them during the course of of the three parter. Uh, this is what it is. I kid you not. That's what it is. It's part within 2000 AD of Throg's thrillers. Uh, for those who aren't 2000 AD readers, what does that mean? <laughs> well, there's an awful lot to unpack here. Um, Tharg <laughs> is an alien from, um, I believe, Betelgeuse, who came to Earth in 1977 to launch the galaxy's greatest comic. And uh, he brought with him his art and writing droids. And uh, he has brought a whole lexicon with him, including Earthlets, 
and um, all sorts and zarjaz and all sorts of other wonderful phrases. And he uh, has created in his wisdom um, a series of three part stories called Tharg's Thrillers with a three instead of the TH. And that, that I believe is the entire story. Now, at, at the center of this, the, the titular English astronaut uh, is is Major Tom Anderson. Uh, are only people allowed Tom allowed or excuse me, are only people named Tom allowed to attain the rank of major now? Well, yeah, there's um, there's lots of layers going on here. There's um, there's a little bit of Neo in the um, in the Matrix. There's um, uh, definitely Bowie. There's Bowie throughout. There's a little bit of Doctor Who in here as well. There's um, there's uh, basically we're piling on pop cultural references. Laura has drawn him a little more Dan Dare than Bowie. His his his, his space. <laughs> yeah, you reference Bowie in the script, and uh, yeah, I, I, I realize this is, I think I think it's a statue is Bowie esque, but maybe not quite in the face. I'm I'm, I'm remembering. Yeah, he is actually. His his body is quite Bowie, but, and I like that he's got a Dan Dare head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You put yeah. Dundas' head on Bowie's body. I think, yeah, you've got a visual match. Match made in heaven. Yeah, <laughs> may have happened at some point. <laughs> so I take it that that meta ness was was part of the pitch because I picked up within that first issue there were 2000 AD references with you know the exclamation of future shock and time quake, and then in part two without spoiling anything because it's not out for others there are some very much obvious 2000 ad or and brit comic references there well i i gave laura the chance to draw basically every 2000 ad character i'm not sure how many you've drawn <laughs> I, I did i think it was i obviously don't have it for it i only have the uh the current issue i think it was four four or five the, the, you know, and I would not say who because it's a, potentially a spoiler, but the fact that I've drawn this particular one particular person is a bucket list drawing. So I was very, very happy to draw, be able to draw that person. It's probably not, won't take many guesses to guess who that is. Wonderful. But it was fun. Uh, yeah, because we, we we crashed through the, 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 the pop culture references into 2080 itself. Plus, the next time you get to pitch 2080, you could be like, look, I've drawn all of them. That is my idea. That's my plan. I've drawn, I've drawn, and I've drawn, I've drawn X, Y, and Z. Yeah, that's my yeah. plan. I think my, I think my pitch to Tharg actually was fairly straightforward. Tharg, Tharg isn't very, isn't surprised by much. So Tharg seems to have taken on board um, my, uh, my um, turning in something as weird as this. <laughs> what sounded like quite a straightforward pitch. I, I like this idea that you're pitching Tharg himself. <laughs> well, yes, the, the the mighty one's shadow is what all one sees. One uh, one enters the room, one quakes, one pitches from a, a position of prostration, and um, then you you hear later by me by a, a messenger droid whether or not uh, he has any changes to make. Is the shadow on the cave wall of Plato's cave of a uh, alien? Who is telling you if you can release your comic story? Indeed. So the whole idea is is Major Tom Anderson is injected with psychedelic drugs and travels forward into the future. It was just I I was fascinated by this concept and I just kind of googled psychedelic time travel, stumbled across an article that basically 
you know, looking at sort of real world applications in 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 silly science fiction says uh, time travel could be as easy as dropping acid, but only if you want to jump forward in time. New research from the University of Dundee and Imperial College London shows that tripping on LSD alters our perception of time, creating room for us to think about the future, but making it harder to return to the past. Wow, I had no idea about that. Trippy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Mind you, that's Dundee, so that'll be DC Thompson. That's the uh, that's the opposition. Yeah. But um, <laughs> they'll they'll be doing that on uh, commando. Um, but. Um, uh, yeah, I did. I had no idea this had a background in in um, in real science. I remember when I was a kid, me and my mum used to get up to um, some mystical shenanigans. This being the seventies, and um, we got a book out of the library about mental time travel. And I remember us both both sitting there um, making specific patterns on our foreheads. We're making noises with our eyes closed, trying to travel back to the past. So. You know, I mean, it, it it didn't work, needless to say. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Heck of a way to spend an afternoon, though. Well, yes. Uh, so how did you two come to team up? Um, I'll go for this one, actually. I was um, emailing Matt, uh, the editor. Sorry, Thog. Um, <laughs> I emailed Matt um, about We're actually on first name terms I... with him. Exactly, I know him personally. Um, I, I emailed him asking if I could share his email with a friend who wanted to pitch to him. And I was just refreshing that I would also be happy to uh, do some more work if he had anything available, because this is my second time with 2000 AD. And he came back really quickly um, saying that he had a, a three-parter um, from Paul. And if I'd like to do it, I jumped on it straight away. I mean, I don't know how you say no to 2000 AD and Paul Cornell. I just don't. You just don't. Thank you. A lot of people have said no to me. It's not that hard. <laughs> well, I, well, I won't. <laughs> I won't. I wouldn't fall. Uh, I mean, I'm a freelancer. People saying no to me is most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Laura, no, I, I, I knew this wasn't your first uh, 2008 AD rodeo. Paul, how far back do you go with 2008 AD? Do you remember when your first story was? Well, me and my mum, when we time travelled back to the 1980s, <laughs> I wrote for Rogue Trooper, and, and she was an Inca. But no, um, I um, I wrote for the magazine um, in the 90s, um, and I start, I did my first actual 2018 really quite recently. I did um, a couple of one-offs. Um, I kind of, I like to do... Uh, whenever they've got an opportunity to do one of their existing characters, I like to dive in and, and, and do that. But the, the thrillers format gave me an opportunity to do a little bit. So I was quite pleased with that. And um, no, I did the strips called Pan-African Judges and uh, Death Watch, which was sort of um, Blackadder uh, Shakespearean judges um, uh, back in the day. Um, yeah. Uh, under, under an entirely different thug. That large name, first name wasn't Matt. No, no. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew that one much better. I had to, you know, I could actually approach him to the hem of his garment outside of his shadow. 
so you mentioned Moorcock uh, briefly before, but I was kind of curious about what kind of, of specifically uh, sci-fi silliness inspired this story generally. Mm, Jerry Cornelius, really. Um, and I think uh, Matt kind of cottoned on to that because um, his his contract back to me actually uh, called the story The English Assassin, which is the title of a, uh, a, a Jerry Cornelius Michael Wilcock book. So he'd obviously, without me saying that out loud, cottoned on to it and uh, made, made a mental slip. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I love um, 1970s British New Wave SF, and um, Jerry Cornelius is a huge part of it. Moorcock once uh, allowed me to write an official Jerry Cornelius story, which is still one of the proudest things I've ever done. Um, the um, So, yeah, it's it's kind of continuing that vibe. It's um, uh, that wonderful... Um, feeling of walking through a pop cultural landscape which is not fully understood i moorcock bless him is still with us i'm um can only imagine what he makes of the current media landscape where everything he talked about in the 70s has been multiplied by a thousand yeah it's that stuff the uh the story opens mentioning some years when it all went wrong for england uh, 2016, I, obviously, <laughs> I get that's the year of the Brexit referendum. Uh, there, it mentions three other years. I wanted to see if I could pinpoint what happened in those three other years that are mentioned in the story. So I'm going to na name a year in an event, and, and I want you to buzz me if I'm wrong, basically. So 2005, my guess was the London Underground suicide bombings. Um, it's not things that have gone wrong. It's oh. big things happening. Okay, um, okay. And um, something enormous happens to change time. Mm -hmm. And um, in, a, in, in 2005, um, Doctor Who returned. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so, that so, is huge. Uh, so yeah. I'm going, so my theory for 77 now sounds closer to right. Never mind the bollocks, the Sex Pistols is released. And 2000 AD begins. Ah, yes, you got that one, Dan. <laughs> Which was actually, yeah, that was the last guess that I had for seconds. Well, shit, I'm way off on 89. <laughs> uh, and 89 is when old Doctor Who stops. Ah. Oh. Everything's Doctor Who. Everything's Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Referenced several times in the script. Ah. And from 2016, our future starts to shut down completely. <laughs> That's that's accurate, no matter which side of the pond you're on. <laughs> Both, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's um, it, 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 we'll see. I think in three, um, the uh, a little bit of playing around with those spikes in uh, in, in in thrill power across uh, across across British history. Yeah, I never thought I'd draw that. <laughs> to not say, I never thought I'd. In the last this year, in the, oh, the last part and the second part, I never thought I would. It's uh, it, there's quite a lot in here, isn't there? It's, it's wacky. When everyone talks, I say it's wacky. It's a bit of an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> All right, Matt. Mm. Question for you: What era would you tra time travel to to save America? 
so th- the serious answer mm-hmm. well i'll start with the, the the silly answer which is i would uh stop elvis from faking his own death thus creating a whole new generation of music um the serious answer would actually be the early 90s shortly after the fall of uh, the soviet union there's a story i read not a, a fictional story but a, a recounting of an event where Yeltsin, I believe it was Yeltsin, went to George Herbert Walker Bush and said that, you know, our economy is in a bad way. Maybe it was Gorbachev. Nonetheless, our economy is in a bad way. We need financial support from America. And George H.W. Bush just basically told him to kick sand. And because of that, you can that leads directly to the rise of Putin, to where we are today in the geopolitical landscape. So I, if, I agree completely. I often think that if um, the Americans had treated the Russians like the Allies treated the Nazis at the end of World War Two, or rather the new the new German government at the end of World War Two, um, and pumped money in and pumped aid in. Um, then we didn't be in a radically different position now. Off you go, go and do that time travelly thing. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure why they're going to listen to you when you arrive. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you you could arrive in front, like I am a time traveller. Look, look at my crazy tiny thing. computer, and you won't have to ask who's the president because he'll be standing right in front of you. But there we are, exactly. <laughs> but yes, that is the the spot I think that would change history where we stand today radically. Now, the great thing about that is you can actually prod George H.W. Bush into saying, not going to do it. <laughs> and then you can be like, he said the thing that Dana Carvey makes him say. <laughs> wow, you've got quite quite an agenda there. All in all. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you're going to go back, you, you got to, if you only get one chance to time travel, you use it for everything that you got. If I went back, I'd rescue my mom. She's still there. Mm. Uh, I I would travel back to 1988 and prevent the assassination of Queen Elizabeth by terrorist sleeper agent slash all-star right fielder Reggie Jackson Uh, no idea (laughs) that's American pop culture right there (laughs) Uh, children this is a reference to the 1988 movie The Naked Gun for more on that consult your local library or just find it on streaming I see (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Lead balloon. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I chuckled. I got it. (laughs) Oh, man. So, uh, Laura, I wanted to ask about this. Uh, You appear to be a huge basketball fan. I was was unaware that basketball had that kind of following in England. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's, it's important to make, to think like basketball really is a global game. I mean, obviously, NBA, America and all the teams apart from uh, Toronto, it is American centered. But I mean, basketball in the, across the world is huge. It's just, you have to see the uh, European um, crowds like in, in Turkey and elsewhere. They are massive. They, they're, they're like like our football, like soccer, like our football crowds, the chanting and the fire and this smoke in the crowds and the massive now the uk is a bit different because <laughs> we're not quite like that and it's not as popular we have our own league 
Um, I go to the games and they are good and they're getting better. Um, but then it's nothing of the same um, of the same level as the NBA. Yeah, it will probably get better, but it's really popular. Uh, I think the NBA specifically, you see loads of kids with LeBron jerseys and Curry jerseys around, you know, those guys. So, yeah, I've been into basketball probably since I was about 13, 15, and it all started with a free trial of 2K. <laughs> and they asked me to pick my favorite team. Uh, and at that point, I didn't know a single one apart from the Lakers, but I picked the Bulls because it looked the closest to me to what is and slightly was my uh, soccer, my football team at the, um, Manchester United with red and it had Devils and Bulls play at the United Centre. I just picked them and um, and here I am. That's, that's it. I've just stuck with them yeah. ever since. And I know that a lot of your art on Instagram is uh, based around uh, basketball. Yeah, it is. I love, I love drawing basketball. It's probably the one thing that inspires me the most, if I can. I really like to mix uh mix it with like street art like trying to frame frame the athlete with words that kind of look a bit like graffiti or whatever slogans or anything and uh, trying to get more work um related to basketball with like apparel and um, the league in the country etc i really love i just love i love basketball <laughs> i do um who, who are you playing in a friendly game of nba jam who's your who's your team well, who would I pick as my team? Who's your Who's your team, and then who are your two players from that team, past or present? Past. So I can pick. So basically, you're just asking me for my two favorite NBA players. Yeah, there you go. Sure. Oh, okay. Well, uh, right. So I, I can't wear this and not pick Jordan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I also can't just I just can't not pick Jordan. And then, and then it's really hard because do I want to pick? say someone like LeBron do I want to pick the best shooter in someone like Curry do I want to go back and pick like Chamberlain <laughs> but then I don't know oh no it's hard I'd say I'd probably have to say LeBron I, he's not my favorite player I'm actually not particularly a fan but I have you have to I just have to recognize the intent like the insane skill so I'd probably have to say MJ and LeBron would be with the two I feel like you know you just nobody's gonna beat them nobody's gonna beat them <laughs> Uh, now, now, by that same token, what what is it like being a Chicago Bulls fan in twenty twenty four? Well, personally, so now it depends on who you ask. I guess me, I think it's pretty <laughs> great <laughs> because I'm not super like I love the Bulls and I love basketball and I'm really into it, but I'm not really. I'd say the word is tribal. Like I don't get really angry if we lose. I don't get really down. I don't get actually like you know. It's just a game. I feel like I wake up at two a.m. to watch these games. You know, I, I'm, I'm just happy to watch. I enjoy the game. I enjoy watching. There's some great... I think the great thing about basketball as well is, like, with football, without football, sorry, soccer, if you, if you you know, you lose, it might be 1-0, and that's all that happened in the whole game, one goal. With basketball, we could lose, but you've seen 50, like, amazing shots this game, and there's been really, like, a lot of fun and a lot of highlights. It might be alley-oops, slam dunks, some great passes. There's loads of things to enjoy, even if you lose. I'm not really that um i said tribalistic i guess but we're doing quite well now i mean we started off a bit poorly but we're almost at 500 level now almost at not 500 um we're i think if we keep going we have a reasonably good schedule left we could probably push sixth place just only two games off 500 so i think we could do it and then uh just kind of more generally do you think wemby is living up to the hype in your eyes 
oh god yes that man is he's 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 unbelievable he is he is he's inhuman i mean i know he's he's obviously he's like ridiculously tall but the handles he has for his height is mad there was a movie did in, the, in the, one of the other games and did a crossover and then he kept it in, in his left hand and went right over a defender and it just it doesn't he doesn't look human and I think he got a triple double already at his age, didn't he? And I, I just he is. I mean, Chad is great and um he's a very talented player, but obviously he has a more talented team around him. Wemby is pretty much doing this mostly on his own. A couple you know, there's some great players in the Spurs, but he's doing what he's doing purely fueled by himself. And he's gonna be a multiple time MVP. He's gonna whenever wherever he goes, like either the Spurs will build around him or somebody on another team will get him. He's gonna be a multiple time champion. He's He's a guaranteed legend. Like you just, you could put your money on it now. I think he's already, and he's already doing amazing. Uh, I was like Paul. I was looking a lot at your your basketball tin up, pinups, which you know I noticed tend to focus on the sneakers. Are you are you a big sneakerhead? Do you you know collect as well as 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 you know draw them? I really would love to. <laughs> when I was younger, I had about. It's not very many, but when I was younger, well, for, for sneakerheads, when I was younger, I had about eight pairs of Vans shoes, and that got to be a point where I thought that was too many, and I sold them all, and, I, and I've, I've cut down massive there. I only have a few pairs. Um, but also, uh, I don't wear leather or anything like that, so it can okay. be really mm-hmm. tough mm-hmm. to find good shoes. Like, I actually have, obviously, people at home can see this, but these are my basketball shoes, my actual ones I play in, so Jordan 1 Take 4s, I really love, and they're synthetic. Um but as far as anything else, like uh, Converse, which aren't particularly thing, but they're all made of they're all made of canvas. I've just bought some Nike Dunks because they're completely synthetic. These are uh, the Next Nature ones, and I'm a massive fan of the Dunk and Jordan One design. I think it's the most gorgeous like shoe design that's ever been. But unfortunately, like I said I can't really collect that many because I don't want to buy or wear leather or suede or so I can't really have that many, which is probably not a bad thing <laughs> for my wallet. Um, but I'm a big admirer of sneakers. I do love I do love sneakers. I just can't wear them or buy them all. And uh, what what artists are are your artists? Who do you jam on personally? Uh, like inspiration, just people that I like. Yeah. Um, oh, I've got a I've got a couple. I mean, if I'm thinking, I feel like what one I, I looked at a lot when I was younger is. Dave Gibbons. I have to put Dave Gibbons in, in in any conversation. I got to meet him one time. He's very lovely. Um, specific inspiration to me would be someone like David Arja. Mm. Like you know, these very kind. I want not in a negative way because I love it. I want to say flat two D. Stre- like you're seeing a lot of side profile views, and the, there's quite very intentional and sharp and short lines that he does in clothing, in line work, and things like that. I like that. And then I'd also say my two favorite artists that. Are I'd say I'm more, more David Archer to this, but a more immediately surrounding me or in, in things that I work on would be Chris Sheehan. They're amazing. I'm a massive fan. And Skylar Patronage as well. Skylar yes. is huge and awesome and also very, very kind <laughs> and very, very sweet. And I, I'm very privileged to know both of those two very closely and I love the work. So... Paul, last year you wrote Con and On for Ahoy Comics, this decade-spanning tragic comedy that follows the denizens of a San Diego-type comic convention. Mm-hmm. How much of that was personal experience versus stories from friends and colleagues? Oh, there's a load happened to me and a load happened to friends and colleagues. 
Um, and um, I have had my pocket picked by a famous creator at a bar and who drunkenly just assumed that the person next door would be willing to add funds to his own. Um, <laughs> there is um, uh, also, I mean, I'm in it at one point because I just thought, well, you know, this anecdote is ridiculous about the person involved. I might as well be in it. Um, so, yeah, it's a whole pile of of real stuff. And I'm hugely proud of it. It's gone under the radar, let's face it. It um, hasn't set the world on fire, but um, it, which is a, a pity because Ahoy really are on the up and they've got some wonderful titles now, and I was hoping to add to that. But I'm I'm delighted by what we managed to achieve. And I think we were just... We were trying to do a, a, a biting satire across decades, do a bit of um, Robert Altman, and um, it, I think I, I I do think it lands, but I think issue, the leaps between every issue of many years I think may be a little hard to I think maybe I'm waiting for the trade I think the the trade will will really rock in in terms of putting that story in one place. Um, wow, that I was being a bit too much too honest there for my own career's sake. Okay, um, the um, uh, yes, but I, I I'm really really pleased with it and. Uh, uh, you know, it was just a chance to get all those stories out. How did it wind up at Ahoy? Oh, because it's a, an Ahoy thing. I can't imagine any other company doing that. They're 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 the dark comedy specialists. Um, they, um, I really didn't think of taking it to anyone else. Was the the final issue, the pandemic issue, any more or less? sad or challenging to write being so close to the present well yeah because i i wanted to do something that really underlined the future shock the the huge change across um time since that series starts which isn't very long really but things have changed a lot and i get more and more interested in deep time as i get older that um you know the uh the, the way we perceive the the passing of time um varies wildly and um you know when you hear that some actor has died and they've lived a fairly long life it's amazing who they worked with as a kid uh the the tiny number of um a uh, friend of a friend that can lead you back to you know medieval times um it's um I'm, I'm fascinated with with big leaps in time and, and a lot of my work these days is about is about that and um so yeah applying that to uh, comic-con there's a wonderful 1970s issue of iron man where iron man goes to the san diego comic-con and it is literally a a line of about five people standing in front of a guy with a ledger and a cash box and there's a tear well, probably a coffee urn. And, um, you know, that's the level of San Diego Comic-Con in the 70s. Um, and um, so, yeah, uh, I, I just wanted to write about that, about change across time. What was what was the culture shock for you attending your first American convention versus, say, you know, a Thought Bubble or an MCM London? Well, um this was quite a long time ago, actually. I did well, 90s. 
Um, and uh, I've been going out to the Gallifrey conventions in in Los Angeles for a very long time, um, uh, more than twenty five years now, and um, that was my first experience. And when I that that time it was like, oh, it's America, it's all America everywhere I look. I'm walking in America. Look at this. <laughs> and, um, the Americans get very fed up of that very quickly, <laughs> and um, and it was like. Am I, am I going to see, uh, the, oh, there's a hot dog, uh, there's some bagels. Uh, am I going to see a shooting? You know, that's kind of what you what you expect. And um, it, how much of the Wild West is here? And, um, you know, that's the, um, uh, and, you know, one becomes used as one gets older. I'm just rambling now, aren't I? This is, this is uh, <laughs> Laura, Laura, have you been to a, a US convention? Unfortunately not. I'd really love to go. Um, I've only ever I've only ever been to UK ones and tabled only at Thought Bubble myself. Um, I'd love to go to the US for several reasons, but I definitely want to go to San Diego Comic Con, New York Comic Con, C two E two would be my my top three picks. I I love San Diego beyond reason. It's an, an amazing experience, and uh, everyone should do it at least once. And unless it's somebody who doesn't know or like comics, in which case they're not going to get a lot. <laughs> <No, of them. laughs> Uh, Laura, do you have a fun or a memorable or a weird convention story? I think, I think, I think so far, I think everything's been great. My conventions, <laughs> I <don't, laughs> touch wood. I don't think anything's gone uh, shockingly wrong. The only weird thing, and I don't know if it's if it, if it's all that weird, um, based on the convention, is that thought bubble when uh, I, my first time there, um, we have the midcon party. Uh, it's held at the Majestic Hotel um in Harrogate of course and there is a big thing that I was unaware of because it's my first time about the men's toilets and everyone kept saying have you seen the men's toilets and they just wouldn't shut up and I didn't understand that I got really freaked out about it, to be honest because everyone's telling me we've seen the men's toilets I don't want to go in the men's toilets but my friend <laughs> took me down um there and they are glorious to put it to put it <laughs> mildly there's just this beautiful black and white tiled floor there's a this plush leather bench that's just like right in the center for whatever you need a bench in a toilet for. And the cubicles light up when you go in them, only when you shut the door behind you, like just and the frosted glass, obviously you can't see it. They're very fancy. I just don't understand the purpose of the bench, but uh, that's probably the weirdest thing, but it's it's not very weird by all accounts of Thought Bubble because everybody knows about it, but it's kind of like a, an inside joke. Yeah, the, the the bench seats nine Victorian gentlemen, all, all of whom have a really good view of the urinals. I have no idea what that's about, <laughs> but um, I gather that the the um, women's toilets nowhere near the as crap. plush. Good Lord. <laughs> the crap, the tiny, <laughs> the tiny, and they don't look anywhere near as nice. There's no bench. There's no luxury. No light up cubicles. No, that's just they're not, they're just not as nice. So I always, you know, feel a little bit sorry for a lot of the blokes that are, you know, trying to use the facilities. Is that the urinal is still just there, and I'm just sat on the bench trying to like take a cool picture or whatever or anyone else, and and everyone's like doing a big group photo, say cheese, and there's about three different guys around each other trying to have to take a piss. Like I'm sorry, sorry guys, but they they'll be doing cool. tours at some point. I'm sure. Well, I hope so. I mean, we always get kicked out. <laughs> we have to run, everyone scram when you see the guy or your security guy on his walkie-talkie. But of course, that um, inspired the anthology that uh, I will be in that's uh, being run by Chris Small and stuff, and that's really cool. 
Yeah, okay. All right. So that that's that. the one with the, that's the toilet with the anthology. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that is that is the toilet. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, what is the best tip that anyone has given either of you about uh, surviving or, or or thriving at a convention? Uh, Paul, do you want to go first? Because I've already mm. been to a few. And I'll think. Oh, well, thanks for that. Um, I, um, uh, I'm not sure anybody's ever given me any tips about anything. Um, I um, I I do think I do find Thought Bubble to be one of the loveliest experiences. That that convention floor when it starts up. Um, the the artiness, the the concentrated art, and all of the, especially the young people doing art in those three halls. Um, I walk around with it, around them, feeling blissed out. Um, I I wish I could walk out of time in the other parts of the year and just walk into that hall and make myself feel better because it's my favourite place on earth in those in those couple of days. And um, just the ability to go past so many creators who are doing great work. And oh, there's a whenever the, um, you know, the tunnel announcement comes on for the end of a day, uh, there's a huge applause that goes through those halls from <laughs> all, of, all of the storeholders. I love being a storeholder at Thought Bubble. Um, you know, it's the only time I ever do a table and I just take my comps. So sometimes I don't have much, but it's just wonderful to meet the people who come along because they are they are people they are people who um uh want uh to buy comics and are interested in buying comics and you may have just heard my uh, my small son downstairs um <laughs> yelling in triumph that he has just broken the 300 barrier in times table rock stars this may be a world record um he, those autistic superpowers have really kicked in <laughs> yeah you've done it absolutely Wahey! <laughs> unbelievable yeah this is not what your podcast is for is it oh. no no but i'm leaving it in because i want people to cheer on your son that's <laughs> i'm proud i'm very proud yeah. that's that's 300 correct multiplication answers in two minutes that's that's impressive that. that's some computing power man yeah <laughs> So, uh, Paul, looking ahead, you have a Zoop campaign about to launch for a graphic novel called Who Killed Nessie? Yeah. And, you know, usually we, we we have Matt do the dramatic reading of a, of a, a comic synopsis at the beginning of the episode. But I, I, I'm leaving a truncated version here for Matt to read aloud because I, I just I want to watch him smile as he reads it. So, Matt, the floor is yours. Lindsay Grockle, a skeptical, rational young woman agreed to be the manager of an isolated hotel in the Great Lakes to get over a terrible breakup that left her with zero self-confidence. She arrives to find the former manager on his way out the door as if he'd been freed from a terrible burden. The rest of the staff have all elected to go on leave this weekend because this weekend is the convention. Lindsay doesn't know what it, that is, but is pleasantly surprised when some charming but eccentric patrons arrive. Patrons who want to hide their faces and shelter under huge coats of all, and, or all walk together in single file 
as if they're one long creature pretending to be several people. And there's a just slightly too big cat that started to hang around. And the lake outside seems to have suddenly become both deserted of wildlife and weirdly choppy. But still, Lindsay goes to bed in the hotel that night, sure that her weird guests are having the best time she can provide. She's woken in the early hours by the cat, who tells her she has to come quickly. There's been a murder. The, the cover is, this is me and the wonderful Rachel Smith, the great uh, cartoonist. The cover is um, of a bunch of cryptids standing around the chalk line that makes the shape of the Loch Ness monster. Nessie has been murdered and one of the cryptids is responsible and uh, our host has to solve the murder. And <laughs> I am delighted we've got something so bonkers on the slipway. Um it's um it's a cryptozoological comedy murder mystery. I love Rachel's cartooning and it's just an opportunity for us to cut loose together really. It's um uh, I've I've already seen uh, sample art of fairies eating yeti flavored crisps, that sort of thing. Uh, no, that's it. Sounds absolutely de delightful. How did this? How did you decide this one was going to be a a Zoop campaign? Well, I've loved what Zoop did with Saucer Country, our completed Saucer Country volume, which started being delivered this week, and um, they just seem a wonderful crowdfunding solution. Um, and it's just the two of us. Uh, we contribute. We are the entire um, creative team. So um, we thought, oh, we could we could do this. And we both we both done successful crowdfunding before, so we've both got an audience that that will come to this. So yeah, we're going for it. We're going for it um, sometime in spring. We, you can sign up now if you look for Zoop. Uh, who killed Nessie? You'll find it where you can plonk in your email address to be notified when the campaign starts and get the early bird stuff. So please do that. Uh, do either of you have a favorite cryptid? Oh, well, I mean, I, I would go for the Mongolian death worm, obviously. <laughs> oh, obviously. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, what's not to love? It's a um, a large Mongolian worm-like creature that leaps out, that well, leaps, <laughs> that slunks out of its burrow and zaps you with electricity, with lightning. I kid you not. Whoa. Um, okay, I've never yeah. heard of that, but that sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I did a, a short short um about it for Project Cryptid for Ahoy called um, uh, Wormy and Me about the LAPD's uh, cryptozoology unit, where uh, creatures like the uh, death worm are put to use in solving crimes. And I believe, since you just mentioned it, that the Saucer Country book will be released through image it'll be yeah. this week as this episode drops as it will drop on tuesday the 6th oh will it okay yes the um individual finale comic for saucer country that is to say if you've bought all of saucer country so far and just want to read the ending that's being released um in uh into comic stores on that date and uh, from Image, courtesy of Chris Ryle's Syzygy Company. Um, and um, the uh, individual issue is also being sent out to Zoop customers as we speak. 
And Zoop customers will also have got their um, completed source of country with everything, including the ending, in a lovely new volume. And there will also be a Syzygy comic store volume of that coming. And the comic store volumes and the Zoop volumes are entirely different in design. So the people who supported the um, Zoop campaign will get uh, a, a collector's item, something that only they will get. Um, our wonderful designer, Ian Chalgren, did two entirely different designscapes. So um, I'm, I'm very pleased with both both uh, both articles. And there's even things like uh, uh, individual comic shop uh, variant covers for the for the uh, finale comic. So hurrah. I'm so pleased to get this done. It's been years. It's been so many different <laughs> publishers. It's um, It's failed at so many publishers and we finally finished it. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be so self-deprecating, should I? It's I'm no. talking to Americans. <laughs> People will assume I'm telling the truth. Good bit. Uh is there anything else coming out from either of you that we have not touched on yet that you want to make sure you get a plug in for before we wrap up? Uh Laura, you go first. Yeah, I've got a couple. Um nothing um that I know exactly the dates on, basically, just keep your eye out. Uh, I'm doing some variant covers for a scout book called Milk Run from Ryan Reheal, which is really, really cool and very trippy and weird and dramatic. Um, so I've got three variant covers for that. Uh, I'm going to do a short in Dave Cook's Nano Jams anthology for his series Killtopia, uh, which mm -hmm. everybody loves. And how could you not? It's fantastic. I've already mentioned the Majestic Anthology. And then uh, I'm also going to be part of the next book of Shield Maiden, uh, by Asa Wheatley, which is also very popular. So yeah, just keep an eye out for those. Um, I I think you mentioned you've mentioned everything I can uh, I can talk about. I am the co-host of Hammer House of Podcast on an ongoing basis. We we for five years now we've been watching the Hammer horror movies in order. Penultimate question: uh, What are y'all reading right now? Prose, comics, whatever. Paul, when you go first this time. Um, I am. I am reading a, a coffee table book, an illustrated guide to the world's prettiest cricket grounds, Ooh. which is delightful uh, because cricket is my thing. And uh, this is uh, absolute heaven for my, uh, it, it's very relaxing. Cool. Uh, I'm always reading Nightwing. That's what I say. Always reading Nightwing. <laughs> it's just one of the things. It's the absolute best super like capes story that there is i know it doesn't actually wear a cape but it's the best capes uh ongoing comic i can think of and then i always reread the autumnal mm. uh like mm. Shihan that i mentioned that is probably my favorite book ever 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 i always reread it it's fantastic it was one of my first forays into into horror as comics and it's my favorite genre and it's just brilliant i absolutely adore it i read it i reread it every year I've been nodding furiously. Those two are absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I actually, to knit those two things together, I, I um, ambushed Tom Taylor at uh, the last San Diego because uh, he's an Aussie and uh, we were beating them in, in the cricket. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I sort of rubbed that rubbed that in a little. And he said, oh, mate, I, I, don't, I don't really follow cricket that much. But your man with a stumping, that was wrong. And, and he got into it. <laughs> Because, you know, an Aussie who follows cricket not very much is still religiously passionate. <laughs> <laughs> I, Laura, I, I have to say, talk, men, you mentioned Nightwing. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get the cover to 110 
out of my head uh the that's the the bruno redondo one that recreates the the uh real housewives meme of the the two people yelling and then i think damien is like the cat it's a they have the, the best covers ever are on that series oh. they they don't they're not afraid to just make it meme or make it really fun that that incredible issue where you could literally pull it if you wanted to pull it all out yes. it's on one yes. thing that they, they are oh. they are breaking ground on that series but it's also so fun and light-hearted and just bright and gorgeous and i love it i just love everything it's brilliant what what did that slogan go stay come for the season during beauty stay, stay for nightwing's pirate booty <laughs> Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they don't take themselves too seriously. It's brilliant. It, it's a book that knows exactly what it is, and I and I love that yes. for it. Yes. <laughs> oh boy! But uh, this has been a fantastic time. Final question: As we release you both back into the world, how can people follow you online and keep up with the English astronaut and everything that you respectively have going on? Laura, why don't you go first? Um. Well, everything on uh, for me is pretty much on my Twitter or x which i'm very reluctant to call it so i'll say twitter again uh and it's just all at, at elora straits which is annoying to say because i don't know if anyone knows how it's spelled but i think you can get it or laws draws is also there and my link uh, is in the bio from all my other socials my website and uh, and everything i'm working on uh and you can find me on blue sky and instagram and linkedin and nowhere else <laughs> <laughs> awesome. all right laura paul thank you so much for coming on the show Thank you for having us, guys. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash comicsxf, where a dollar donation gets you a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $2 donation gets you early access to WMQ&A and a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $3 donation gets you a sticker, early access, and a shout-out. A $5 donation gets you access to our monthly bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the comic appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $25 donation lets you request a primer, one of our custom reading guides for a series, character, or creator at ComicsXF, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Lisa Slack, Will Redman, Tobias Carroll, Mike Sagawa, Will Nevin, Liz Large, Asimov Fangirl, Carla Pacheco, and Robert Secundus. You're all special, and we love you. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. You can also follow ComicsXF on Facebook, Instagram, and Blue Sky. And until next week, remember, Rob Liefeld's greatest contribution to comics isn't Deadpool or Youngblood or even Major X. It's his impression of Todd McFarlane. W-N-Q-A.